Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for loving us and um, just all that's encompassed in who you are. And Lord, today we just want to explore who you are so we can just glean a, a greater appreciation of who you are and then live accordingly. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for the privilege, and we just pray you to have your way with us and guide us and lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, first of all, of course, uh, as a matter of uh, logistics, I have to say what? Happy Father's Day. I think it was Drew that said, um, yeah, yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> I think it was Drew that said, <clears throat> you know, on Mother's Day every year you get up and you say, oh, bless your hearts, you know, mother's an underappreciated thing, and, and, you know, God bless you mothers, and you know, we cry a little bit and some of that kind of stuff. And then on Father's Day, you get up and say, man up. <laughs> so, in keeping with tradition, uh, Father's Day is a big deal. And uh, I, I think of it like this, maybe if this is an encouragement to fathers. Um, you know, if you were entrusted in your day job, let's say, for example, you got a day job, and you were entrusted with you know, transporting uh, uh, 5,000 bricks of gold, you know, we'll say from Boston to Los Angeles, and, and that was your job, and, and you just felt that, that weight of that responsibility and, and all of that, right? I mean, how much more uh, infinitely significant are children than however many pounds of gold, right? And so you have been entrusted with a, with a huge responsibility, and uh, I just, what I just told you now just makes you feel a little bit overwhelmed, right? So, uh, but the, the point is, um, it does require supernatural um, empowering to accomplish that job. And so, let me encourage you that the job you're doing is highly significant, and, um, and yet uh, requires uh, the fullness of the Lord. To those um, who are um, uh, recipients of our fatherhood, we'll say, um, start to say victims, but that's kind of a wrong connotation, right? Um, blessed recipients of our fatherhood, um, can I say that we, uh, we, are, frail, we are, are frail people? And it is an overwhelming task. And we do need the help of the Lord. So um, for those moments when it's obvious that we are frailed, um, please pray for us. And uh, we need grace. And uh, that's not a license for bad behavior, but uh, it's just the reality of, of uh, who we are and the task that we've been given. It's a huge task that we've been given. And uh, so we don't take it lightly. So today, we find ourselves where? Colossians chapter 1. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? Colossians chapter 1, what a privilege. And uh, as you may be aware, uh, you know, we go through an Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, marching through the Bible. We did Isaiah, and then we took a little uh, detour. Drew took us on a... Um, a great detour through Jonah, and uh, now we find ourselves in Colossians, then we'll go back to Ezekiel, 1 Thessalonians, on down the line. So, 
Colossians is a great, great book. Just an absolutely great book. Um, so, as a matter of background, the city of Colossae was a city approximately 100 miles east of Ephesus. Paul never went there, uh, as far as we can tell. Uh, but likely, he was, there was a period, you may recall, in Acts chapter 19, where Paul was in Ephesus for a couple of years. It says he was for two years in the school of Tyrannus, quote, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So there's probably, most commentators would say, there was a guy named Epaphras. Um, some, some, there's, there's, we read about a guy named Epaphroditus in the book of Philippians. Some people say it's the same person, just a shortened version of his name. Some people say it's a different person. Um, doesn't really matter. Anyway, that guy was probably in Ephesus during that time when Paul was there for two years. He was probably from Colossae. And then, like so often happens with the spread of the gospel, he goes back to Colossae, starts a church, right? And uh, that's how churches in the, new, in, the, in the first century started. And, um, and then later, when Paul finds himself in Roman prison around 60 to 64 AD, he writes this letter of encouragement to the church at Colossae that we know as the Colossians. And uh, so he wrote that letter along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. And so that's sort of the overview of uh, sort of the setting. Uh, the situation is that by this time, so now we're talking 60 to 64 AD, you know, we'll say roughly 30 years after uh, Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. Church is about 30 years old by this time. You know, 30 years is long enough to kind of start to get a little sloppy. Anybody notice? Right? Um, and so there's some heresies that were entering the church. Again, most commentators say. Uh, most likely uh, some forms of mysticism and Gnosticism, which basically say that we can reach God by kind of knowing some sort of enlightenment, some, some kind of secret knowledge that we can sort of aspire to and blah, 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 rather than a simple repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, if you think about that, that kind of stuff kind of creeps in the church today, right? Like, I know some great theological secret or insight that you don't know, and that makes me a little more enlightened than you are. And next thing you know, we got this enlightenment hierarchy, and it's, it's frankly uh, no good. I'll say it nicely. It's no good. It stinks. And um, any kind of enlightenment, any kind of hierarchy, any of that stuff uh, is just no good. And so even, even as I talk, as, as I teach the Bible, as I read it, I hope what you get from me and what I always pray that I'll, I'll do is I just want to read this thing like I'm a guy that maybe read this chapter a little more than you did this week, <laughs> maybe read a couple other things and maybe prayed and maybe pray that, the God, that God will give me some insight to share. But, but hardly ever, well, I'd say never do I want to, like, give you the secret, right? Give you the doctrinal twist that, whoa, I never thought of that way before. That's pretty cool, right? And um, that's, just, that's just no good. That's just no good. Um, so 
while I'm thinking about that, you notice I never use doctrinal labels. I'll never, I, I try to, hard to avoid doctrinal labels. I don't, uh, because uh, really, if you think about it, those are really too often, not always, but too often, those are tools by which we can kind of identify ourselves as a little more enlightened than the people with the other doctrinal label, right? So, does that all make sense? So we understand what's going on, what was going on in the Colossian church at this time. What else is interesting about this? You might be asking, what else is interesting about this? I'm glad you asked. So what else is interesting about this is that Paul never really identifies this is the thing. You know what he does instead? He points out Jesus, and he talks about Jesus, and he highlights Jesus, and he tells us who Jesus is, and he tells us what all that means, and he encourages us to follow Jesus. And, and that's so great for us because that's universally relevant, and that is what dispels any weird doctrinal hang-up is just focus on Jesus and everything else fades away, right? And so we'll talk about that a little more as we go on. I like what J. Vernon McGee says. Some of you older folk might know who J. Vernon McGee is. For the benefit of you younger folk, he was a guy that used to do, um, he used to preach a lot of times on this thing. It was called a radio, right? And he had what was called back in the old days, a radio ministry, and he taught through the Bible, and so that's near and dear to my heart. But he also did it um, in a very uh, uniquely beautiful, down-to-earth southern twang, right, which I won't try to repeat. You're welcome. Uh, but he said this. He said, we should come off of our high horses. Picture a guy with a southern accent saying this. We should come off our high horses. Remember that the Lord Jesus is feeding sheep, not giraffes. Is that all you got? Is that good? Wow. All right. Verse 1. All right. Whenever I get a response like that, it's time to go back to the Scripture. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. And so we're just going to... Failed to mention this earlier. We're just going to read through the first 14 verses today because I want to highlight now, really, in these letters from Paul, it's almost like each word is hugely significant. And not that they're not in other books, but, you know, like when we read through Isaiah, we read like three chapters at a time because we're getting a piece of history. We're kind of getting a, we're kind of getting a little bit of a, of a more broad, broad sweep of things. Uh, but so if it helps you kind of reset your brain a little bit, we're going we're gonna to back down the pace here a little bit and just kind of dissect it a piece of time. Is that okay? Is that fair? All right. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul's identifying himself as apostle. This is not uh, insignificant. You may, you may recall... Uh, in the book of Philippians. You know, the, tone, the, the theme and the tone of Philippians is Paul's just kind of writing to his friends there in Philippi, and he's kind of just encouraging them, and he's kind of like one of them, right? And, and he, so Paul starts out that book saying, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, right? Well, here Paul says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we get the clue there from the third word that Paul is going to give us some... Uh, He's going to sort of set us on a path doctrinally a little bit, and he's going to encourage us a little bit of that because he's, he's walking in his authority. 
Now, authority, uh, let me just say this. Authority is a little bit of an unpopular word in our day and age because we are so uh, individualistic minded and, and so much of all of that. But you know, authority is really a good thing. Authority keeps things in order. I love what the, the, uh, the guy, I think he was a centurion, said to Jesus when he came. He said, I understand authority, right? I have some people that, you know, basically are authority over me, and I have some people that, that are authority under me. And that's just how it works. It keeps things in order. And, you know, Jesus affirmed that. And so authority is not always a bad thing. If you are in a position of authority, and we all find ourselves in somewhat positions of authority at times, it's important that we walk in that role responsibly, humbly, faithfully, dependent upon the Lord. And it's also important that if we are subject to somebody that's doing that, that we treat him with respect, that we honor the position, that we honor that God has kind of orchestrated these things. And I understand that there are weird abuses of authority and all that kind of stuff, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. But there, um, it's just authority things are put in place by God. I, I refer you to Romans chapter 13. It says that authority structures are established by God, and they need to be respected as such. It says here, Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. How did he get it? by the will of God, by the will of God. He didn't, he didn't earn that authority by any other means than that God reached down. And think about it, who'd be the most unlikely candidate in the first century to have this authority? The Apostle Paul, because he was Saul, a murderer, a persecutor of Christians. And God reached down, miraculously saved him on the road to Damascus, called him for a special purpose, and put him in a position where now he is the authority that is going to uh, give doctrine, doctrinal instruction and, and even correction a little bit to the Colossian church. And so Paul, an apostle by the will, apostle Jesus Christ, by the will of God, along with Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren of Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking to the saints and the faithful brethren. That's us. That's us. You know, saints are not people who earns, again, we talked about levels of enlightenment and all that kind of stuff. Saints, you know, with all due respect to uh, folks that kind of have grown up with this, saints are saved people. They're not like super saved people. They're not like statues of super saved people. They're saved people. Again, referring you back to J. Vernon McGee. He's famous for saying a term. Anybody remember what the term is? He says there's two kinds of people in the world, saints and ain'ts, right? With a southern draw. So saints are Christians. He's talking about the saints and the faithful. And I like that because that puts us all on the same level, puts us all on the same playing field. It, it, it calls attention to the fact that we're called to be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us, Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. We are stewards of this Christian life that we've been given. What's our job? To be successful? No. To be cool? No. To be hip? Cool. No. To be enlightened? No. Just to be faithful. Just to be faithful. And if we can hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then that was a good life. So these are the saints and faithful brethren. And that's us. 
And notice what he says to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been in this church any period of time, long enough to hear the intro to one of these Paul letters, he, enters, he starts them all the same. You could, it's almost like a dance move we could, we could all do together, and I'll never tire of doing it. When we read First Thessalonians, I'll say the same thing. Grace and peace are always at the beginning. They always open the book. They always set the tone. They're always there. They're always in that order because you cannot have peace without grace. Do we have a problem in this world with peace? We have a lack of peace in this world? Yes, we do, because we cannot have peace without grace. And where does grace come from? From a force? From the man upstairs? No, from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ applied to our lives as sinful human beings, that's grace. And as a result of grace, we can walk in peace individually and socially, even international, if the world would choose to. Grace and peace go hand in hand. Now, having said that, think of your own life today. Do you have any problems today? And again, I want to offer encouragement today. Do you have any problem today? I mean, we all, I mean, we share prayer concerns. We're aware of some of these situations. Everybody's got a situation. Everybody's got often more than, more than just a situation. We all have issues. We all have challenges. Everybody got your challenge in mind right now? Right? You're thinking of it, right? Whatever that thing is. Is it too big for grace and peace to take care of? Not at all. Never. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. Grace and peace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is bigger than any challenge we'll ever face. Period. And that's how Paul starts every letter. Isn't that rich? And we should, just, we should just be people, and frankly, this is a lifelong process to learn this. We should be people who can just sort of settle there. And we should be people who just sort of settle there. Does that mean we, we do nothing? I've been kind of wrestling with this a little bit, and um, just kind of in different um, contexts and different conversations I've had with different folks uh, over the last few weeks. And, and I realize that as Christians, we're all about doing. We're all about doing. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. I want to know what my ministry is supposed to look like. And I think before, and that's okay. That's actually good. But we got to keep that in balance that our doing is an outgrowth of our being, right? And we need to be people who rest, who are able to rest in that grace and peace. You know, we went on vacation a couple weeks ago. It's kind of funny. You go on vacation, right? You got nine human beings ranging from 58 to 9, all with a perception of what that word vacation means, right? 
And I think it was on about the 26th time of hearing, what are we going to do? That I went into one of my lectures, right? Much like this one. And I said, we're on vacation. We're going to be on vacation. Now, we might do some stuff, but we're going to be on vacation. You know what kind of stuff you do when you be on vacation? Yeah, you drink a cup of coffee. They had some awesome coffee up there. Went to Michigan. They had some awesome coffee in Michigan. They had this chair that I sat in by this window seat, kind of, you know, looked out over the sunshine, little book on the table, like right next to my coffee cup. It was, it was awesome. That's what I was doing. <laughs> right? And we did some stuff, right? I'm not wasn't completely lopsided, but we just had to sort of reset the focus a little bit. We had to rebalance a little bit, right? But let me just tell us as Christians, I am all the time hearing about what's going on, what are we doing, what's, what's, what's working, what's effective, what's, what's, you know, what's producing the desired result. I hear that all the time, and that's not bad, but I would like to hear at least as often, God is good. I'm just so thankful for who God is that I can, that I woke up and took a breath this morning and that God's grace is so far beyond anything I could ever earn or comprehend or even, even try to attain to. But I, I'm just going to try today to appreciate his goodness and rest in his goodness. And as a result of that, that causes me to, you know, to, to do what I need to do. You know, it's been said, uh, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do whatever we feel like. That's the doing that is birthed out of that, that being. And so, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God, our God. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you. And so notice here, don't ever forget the significance of praying for one another, for giving thanks for one another, the body of Christ being together, the body of Christ praying for each other, the body of Christ being together. And let me just say this, and it, I know it sounds like a little bit of a rant. It's not a rant at all. But you know, in this last year, you know, when things got shut down, everybody kind of got a little bit used to online church, right? And I'm not yelling at you people that are online church. But I've noticed, and maybe you guys have noticed, online church, I call it jammy church. Jammy church just kind of got convenient, didn't it? Because all we, because we know, anybody knows, church is all about the sermon, You catch the sermon online, you know, you can even like, you know, flip through and catch 12 sermons online if you want. Then you're really enlightened. Just kidding. You know, you kind of, you know, just chill in your jammies and do jammy church because you can catch the sermon that way. It's super convenient. It's super easy. And I'm not saying this because I'm trying to fill chairs. I'm saying this because of, I, I believe the Lord has a heart for the body of Christ to function as a body of Christ.
And wherever it is you're supposed to be, let me encourage us to be the body of Christ. To me, honestly, and I'm the guy talking right now, to me, what I say here for an hour, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, what I say here for an hour is a fraction of what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing in this room during these two hours. A fraction. And it's part of, you know, it's, it's part of the biblical order of things. It's how they did, you know, they taught the, taught the Word, and I'm supposed to teach the Word. And I don't want to make any light of that. But I just want us to recognize that Paul says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, praying always for you. We need to be connected. We need to be connected as the body of Christ. And so don't, don't lose the significance of the body of Christ. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. So faith in Christ Jesus, not your goodness, not your great works. Again, the being, your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for one another. John chapter 13, Jesus said this, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, let all that you do be done with love. So Paul says, we're giving thanks for you guys all the time since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for the saints. Remember when they, told, when they asked Jesus what's the greatest commandment? He said what? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Your faith, in, your faith in Jesus Christ, your love for all the saints. Those two things go hand in hand. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So this is a mouthful, okay? Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Let me talk about that for a second. The hope which is laid up for you in heaven. You know, one of the burdens I have for society today, for people as I talk to them and, and, uh, and, you know, just people all over, is this issue of hope. There's a lot of hopelessness in this world, is there not? There's a lot of hopelessness in this world. And I was, as I was praying about this this week and just, you know, asking the Lord to kind of give me clarity, and I don't know if this is you know, like so often. I don't know if this is one of my crazy ideas or if it's, it's the Lord giving me clarity, but I was thinking of it like this. Where we live, our house looks out over a creek, all right? Creek drops down, and then over on the others, and, you know, lots of vegetation and whatnot. And on the other side of the creek, way up high in the sky, or high in the tree, I should say, is a, a nest of hawks. And in the springtime, Everybody with me so far? In the springtime, before the leaves fully come on, you can see the hawk with the right lens. You can see the mother hawk sitting on the eggs or whatever. You can't see down in it, so you don't know what she's sitting on. You assume something there. And you see that hawk there, and we're nature-loving people. Can I drag you through my nature-lovingness uh, just yet one more time? We get this, first of all, we tried it with binoculars, didn't quite reach far enough, so we had to get one of those, one of those lenses, you know what I'm talking about? One of those lenses, it's on a tripod, it sits upstairs, and we're all trying to dial it in, and yep, there we see it. Oh, look at that, that's awesome. Whoa, did you see that? Just moved its head. 
my goodness. And then there's a shout throughout the whole house. Hey, everybody, come here a minute. Look at this. I think he's looking at me. So we go through that whole exercise until the leaves come out. I assume the hawk is still there. I don't know. But I can't see across the, through the leaves now. But here's what I was thinking about. It's been said that the book of Ephesians, for example, is all about the body of Christ with Christ being the head. And as we talked through the book of Ephesians, I refer you back to that, but as we, as we talked about the book of Ephesians, you know, first three chapters are God is so good. Second three chapters is therefore this is how we live. And it was all about this is how we live individually and collectively as the body of Christ with Jesus Christ being the head. And, and it's been said, I read some com- commentary, I forget who, that the book of Colossians takes that sort of one step further and focuses on the head, which is Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that, and my mind was just kind of playing a little bit, I thought, as I'm looking at that hawk across the creek, it's important that I get that focus just right, right? And let's just pretend that my focus is moving, right? So at first I can see you know, the tree right in front of me, and then I can see the tree a little bit farther back. And then as I'm dialing in my focus, all of a sudden now I'm totally focused on the hawk, and everything else outside of that is what? Blurry. And that's our, I believe that's a picture of our life in Christ. (coughs) And the problem is, I was thinking about this idea of hope. And I was thinking, you know, when you're a kid, maybe you did this when you're a kid, but when you're a kid, I know I did this. You know, somebody says, so what's your life going to be like when you're older? You know, when I was a kid, I was like, well, I'm going to play in the NBA and I'm going to have, you know, $20 million and I'm going to eat chocolate all day long and never get fat. It's going to be an awesome life. Now, if some kid tells you that, right, I have a friend who teaches dad stuff. He says you're supposed to tell the kid, you know what, that would be awesome. Because you didn't lie to the kid, right? You just didn't squelch his dreams, right? But anyway, life happens, right? You grow up and you realize, "Mm, I don't think I'm going to make the NBA. And that... How many million dollars did I say? 20. That 20 million just hadn't got here yet. And chocolate does indeed make me fat. And what you have, if you're not focused properly, is really not much more than just a long series of disappointments. And as a result of that, what you have is a long series of disappointments that become hopelessness, right? And I want to be sensitive to this because I know this resonates a little bit. And I think what the Lord would tell us through the book of Colossians is as we focus on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, then those things that we thought were 
bits of hopelessness and maybe disappointments and maybe dreams that were never realized and on and on and on the list goes. Really, could it be that those things are opportunity for our growth and discipleship along the way in our journey to be more focused on Jesus Christ? And I think that's the difference. And even as Christians, catch this, even as Christians, we can focus too much on those things that should be fuzzy and focus too little on the prize, which is Jesus. And the reason I went through that whole thing about doing and being is sometimes the doing is really just those fuzzy things that were, that maybe ought to be a little fuzzier than they are. Does that make sense? So if that resonates, that resonates. But we're supposed to have hope. And what's our hope? That hope is laid up for you in heaven. Does that feel secure? Or does that sound secure? It is laid up. It's not maybe being laid up. It's not getting laid up. It is laid up, settled. Where? Not in the Middle East. (laughs) Right? Not in Indiana, not in some unstable place. It's laid up in heaven. Of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. And here's, what, here's another thing about that sort of enlightened theology kind of thing. You've heard this before. Catch this. It's laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I mean, we're in church right? We've heard this before. Have I ever said we're all sinners saved by grace because Jesus Christ died for us on a cross and rose from the dead to the living, and that's the gospel message, and that applied to my life makes me a new creation? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 makes me a new creation, and I can look forward to hearing those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord, because not of my works, lest anyone should boast, but by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God. Have I, have I said that before? Yes, I have. Do we know that? Yes, we do. Do we need to be reminded? Yes, we do. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before, of which you heard before, in the word which of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And so what we see here is the gospel by that time had gone into all the known world, uh, according to Paul. Notice that God is, a, God is effective in accomplishing his purposes. And notice this. Again, if you think about the being and the doing, Jesus said this, John 15. He who abides in me. Abide. Is that a doing or a being word? It's a being word. He who abides in me. He who hangs on to me. He who hangs out with me. He who abides in me. And I in him bears much fruit. Bears much fruit. Our being as abiding in Christ causes our lives to bear fruit. 
I would, I would argue that if we have a problem bearing fruit in our lives, it's not because our fruit manufacturing skills are somehow impaired. It might be that we're not abiding in Christ. This gospel, which has come to you as it has in all the world, is bringing forth fruit because they were abiding in Christ, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So again, this, this is where folks think, you know, Epaphras was probably the, the leader of that church, and he's sort of relaying this message back to Paul. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so again, people praying together. Paul starts to sort of break into, uh, you know, talking about this prayer for the Colossians. He's faithful to pray it since the day we heard it, he says, and without ceasing. So that tells us that we need to pray for one another. It's intentional that I say, find somebody you can pray for this, we can do it. And we need to be people who pray for one another. That, that is how the body works as the body. As we pray together, as we pray for each other. And notice what he prays for. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And I've said this before, that word knowledge there is the Greek word gnosko, which is an experiential knowledge. You ever notice this? Experiential knowledge is altogether different than like book knowledge or higher education knowledge or anything at all like that, right? I'm not a very mechanical guy, right? But I could watch it on YouTube, right? Like if I want to know how to change the piston on my car, right? You see, it's way up in there, right? The piston. If I want to change the piston on my car, I could watch it on YouTube, right? So if your piston goes out, your engine melts, you know, something cool like that. And you come bring it to me, and I say, I saw a YouTube video once. You going to trust me with that car? <laughs> All right, how about medicine? I'm a doctor, right? I'm not a surgeon, but I saw a guy do it once. You going to let me, like, fix your heart? Right? I mean, I know how to put on the gloves, and it's all red in there, right? So it's probably your heart. You going to trust me? No, not really. Thank you. Right? Experiential knowledge is altogether different than, like, he told me about it, knowledge. Right? This is what Paul is praying for these people, that you may be filled with the experiential knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's what we need. We don't need to pray that... I mean, we all have issues, right? I, and I've said that. And we need to pray for each other and their issues and our challenges and the things we face. But really, can I tell you this? 
it would do well for us to pray for one another that we would all be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And I'll bet you a dollar, if we all like woke up tomorrow morning full of the experiential knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And I said, how's that situation working out for you? You'd say, what situation? Oh yeah, I forgot about that, right? That's how it works. That's how it works. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So again, he's not denying the fact that there's a a walk of the Christian life. There's even a walk worthy of the Christian life, fully pleasing him, right? So none of us are worthy, first of all, to walk the walk. But God's Holy Spirit empowers us to walk the walk. God's Word gives us the instruction by which to walk the walk. And notice here, fully pleasing Him. Now you think about this, sometimes we get a little bit kind of funny about like, am I supposed to please God? Like, I can't please God. Like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a flawed human being. I, that's, that just feels kind of weird. Well, Philippians chapter uh, 2, verse 13, says that it is God who works in you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. Why? For His good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Our lives bring pleasure to God. Now that makes sense. It's Father's Day, right? Do my kids bring pleasure to me? Absolutely. Even when they do something bonehead? Absolutely. Right? And so for us, they never do anything bonehead, by the way. I do all the bonehead stuff in our family. He says, he's praying that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him and being fruitful in every good work, and increasing, again, in that experiential knowledge of God. So the more we experience God, guess what? The more we grow in our experience of God, our experiential knowledge of God. And isn't that how it works? The more we experience doing something, understanding it, the more I experience tearing your, your car apart and learning how it works, then the better I get at it. And, the, and then it's, it's an experiential knowledge that is growing. So is the same with our walk with the Lord. We can know that God will deliver us from this situation when we, the best way to know that God's going to deliver us from this situation is to recall that God delivered us from the last situation. That's experiential knowledge. And as a result, that allows us to put our hope in Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, focus on him, let all, let all the other stuff pale in comparison, and then we find ourselves not being those that are living a series of disappointments and hopelessness, but all this hope and all this encouragement and all this fruitfulness and all this abiding that he's describing for the Colossians. Verse 11, he goes on, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, this is interesting. Strengthened with all might. That word might, you may know, is the word dunamis. It's a Greek word dunamis, meaning power. It's the same word we get dynamite from, right? Is dynamite powerful? Yeah, way. And the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit is what empowers us 
to live this Christian life, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. According to his glorious power. Interestingly, according to his glorious power, that word power is not dunamis. That word is elsewhere translated dominion. So read it like this. Strengthened with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the same power, by the way, that rose Jesus from the dead, strengthened with that power according to his glorious dominion, this glorious life that he's been given you, the glorious task that's set before you that he's empowered you to accomplish. He does all that. He does all that in his life. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Patience, long-suffering, joy, those are good qualities along the way, fruit of the Spirit. And along the way, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Wow. So, as we live this life, as we abide in Christ, as we focus on, on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we recognize that he gives us hope, as we recognize the more we abide in him, the more our problems fade away, the more we realize that we can walk worthy of the Lord, all of that, lo and behold, there's an inheritance waiting for us. And we can give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. Now, what qualifies us to get, in, to get this inheritance? Something we did? No. No. Something we've accomplished? No. We have an eternal inheritance waiting for us. Talk about hope. We have an eternal inheritance waiting for us, laid up in heaven, waiting for us, because He has qualified us to be partakers of it. You see this whole thing, right? What I'm trying to do today, honestly, as I read these first 14 verses of Colossians, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to wash away the garbage of the world from our mindsets, right? And just let us realize the big picture. Talk about the big picture. This is the big picture. This is the big picture. And I think we spend, I think we, even as Christians, spend way too much time focusing on those little micro pictures, right? And, they, and whenever we get to uh, a tendency to focus on those micro pictures, next thing you know, there's despair and, and all kinds of stuff. Trace and I were talking to a lady this week who years ago had lost a, a child, uh, lost a, a son. And she said she was uh, having sort of a, uh, I'm, try, I'm going to try not to butcher the story, but she was having sort of a, a little bit of a pity party day, a little kind of having a down day, and really just felt like the Lord, in a sense, gave her a vision. And he said, you know, there's, it's like a mountain, and on this side is self-pity. And if you go down that, if you choose that, that road, you'll still be my child, but it'll lead to depression, and you're going to have to have lots of help from everybody else to get you up out of there. But if, on the other side is love, joy, peace. 
And if you choose that side, that's the fullness of the Lord. Now, I admit that that's a, that's, that would be very difficult. That's a, that's a difficult, and yet it's a deliberate thing, and I believe the Lord showed that to her. And so sometimes, honestly, I don't want to be insensitive to our challenges, but sometimes we just need to read verses like this and just bathe in them a little bit. Just bathe in them a little bit and see if that other stuff just doesn't sort of wash out, right? And there's a lot of stuff that needs to wash out. And we can be thankful to God the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the life. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, I like this. You notice I'm harping on these words, power. Now, knowing what you know, what I've told you so far, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Do you think that word, Greek word for power there is dunamis? Greek scholars? No. It's a totally different word. You know what word it is? I didn't write it down. Because I don't care. I don't know. It's a different kind of power than the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a it's an inferior power to the power of the Holy Spirit. Get it? We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us as believers. And there's also a power of darkness. We're acknowledging that. But First John tells us, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the power that's in us to deliver us from this power of darkness is greater than that power of darkness. Right? And why am I telling you this? Because sometimes we choose that power of darkness. You know, I know I'm a Christian. I know Jesus died on the cross for me. I know I'm saved. I know I've, you know, prayed for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I know all of that. I know, I know, I know, I know what the Bible says. I know there's a hope laid up for me in heaven. And yet this darkness just seems to want to hang on to me. It's almost like I'm kind of abiding in that darkness a little bit. Right? If we do that, that's our choice. Did you hear me? As sensitively as I can say it, if we do that, that was our decision to do that. Did you hear me? As sensitively as I can say it, if we do that, that was our decision to do that. And there's fullness. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. Either these words are true or they're not. It's the Bible. They're either true or they're not. And why do I say that? Because I see people all the time that seem like they can't quite escape that power of darkness. And I'm not, I don't want to belittle that. It can be powerful. But it's not as powerful as the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis that's given to us through him. So he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that rich? 
So this life of hope and victory comes only because Jesus has redeemed us. We know that, right? It's by grace you've been saved. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can you imagine if the formula for our salvation was like 90% Jesus and like 10% like me doing all the right stuff? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how and I'm not trying to be blasphemous, which that would be blasphemous to say that, right? But I'm trying to acknowledge that this is how we live too often. We live as if Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, because we're Christians, we understand this, we read the Bible, right? We've been to church, we know the drill. We live like Jesus' death and resurrection accounts for about 90, maybe 95% of our salvation process. Another 10% has to do with whatever, and honestly, it's different with different people. I mean, it could be anything from your giving habits to your haircut, right? Church attendance, you know, whatever. And we kind of fill in that last 10% ourselves. Can I encourage us not to do that? I think God is burdened when we do that. Because God wants such greater richness out of our lives than that. He wants us not to be stressed about that. He wants us not to be that unstable. This life of hope and victory comes only because Jesus has redeemed us and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and nothing else. There's a period after that forgiveness of sins right? There's a period after that. It goes on from there. He is the image of the invisible God. So after we read this, we're going to read about Him. We're not going to read about our problem. We're, going to read about, we're not going to read about what's in that last 10%. And let's, let's argue about whether it should be actually the haircut or the giving, right? No. Let's talk about Him. So, if it helps, keep that image of that hawk in your mind, right? And you know, when you dial that focus, dial that lens just right, it comes into sharp focus and everything else doesn't. And I believe there's a distinction there. When Jesus comes into focus, and the more Jesus is in our focus, the more we can just abide in Him, bear fruit that brings him glory, not have to worry about who gets the credit. He gets the credit. It's a rich life. It's a super rich life. 
I love that it's a rich life regardless of who you are, where you are, what time in history you are. This is a timeless big picture. So let's just enjoy Him, appreciate Him, abide in Him, and live accordingly. Is that fair? Dear God, we do thank You that You have given us all that is needed for life and godliness. That You have laid up treasure in heaven. That You've laid up eternal salvation for us. You've laid up everything that we need for hope, that we need for appreciation. Lord, help us to abide in you and live accordingly. Go with us now, please, Lord, into a world that needs to know you love them. No matter what they've done, where they've been, who they are, whether or not they're confused about who they are, whether or not they've found themselves yet or not, you love them. You died for them. Lord, help us to carry that message into this world. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome week.